broadband internet service providers in real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. Thank you for joining us for another awesome, awesome episode of Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. Over there is Jordan. And over there is Carlin. And today we're actually going to go ahead and do one of my picks, which I'm not sure if that's why Carlin said that it's going to be an awesome, awesome episode, because we haven't even recorded this stuff, so we, and we don't really coordinate beforehand too much about what we're going to talk about. I'm just really trying to hype everyone up. You know yeah, it's I mean? going to be exciting. We're going to be looking at a science fiction movie classic. We're actually going to be, like I said, looking at one of my selections, Planet of the Apes. Damn you dirty apes! Get Damn your you. filthy paws off of me! And it's, uh, not, it's not the apes that he's damning, it's someone else. Yes it is. Yes it is. So, let's go ahead and dive right on into the information, and then we can go ahead and talk about uh, this interesting movie. Especially interesting for the time that it was made. Let's remember that. Yes. Uh, bewildered astronaut George Taylor crash lands on a strange planet ruled by intelligent apes who use primitive humans for experimentation in sport. Taylor finds himself among the hunted as he tries to escape the apes and uncover their dark secret. And that, of course, was the Netflix summary. Now, just to, just to talk a little bit about the pedigree of the movie, who's in it, that type of thing. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with this movie. Uh, it was directed by Franklin J. Schaffner, um, who did a lot of other really good movies. Uh, he's well known for Patton. Mm. Yeah. An and important film. Very important film. And I haven't seen it. <laughs> Shh, neither have I. <laughs> I guess we that, that, that pretty much solidifies that we both need to watch it for the podcast. Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, then uh, Papillon. Uh, was another one of his movies, which was really, uh, really important. And then also The Boys from Brazil, which is another movie streaming on Netflix. Hmm. So if you're interested in any of those, go ahead and check out The Boys from Brazil. The music was composed by Jerry Goldsmith. And the, theme, the, the, the music in this movie is something really interesting. We'll, go, we're, we'll have to talk about it and how it's used and everything like that. Uh, makeup. And, and we'll talk about the importance of makeup here, too, um, was done by John Chambers, who worked on a, a wide variety of shows um, and movies and things like that. Some of the work that he's done is featured on Star Trek and also Lost in Space. So he's really well known in the science fiction makeup community. Yeah. And also something that he was involved in was, um, did you see the movie Argo? Mm, yes. Yes, I did. He was involved in the Canadian Caper, which was the basis for Argo. For Argo. He, okay. was, he was the Hollywood makeup artist who put, helped put together the disguises. And, okay, well, let's, let's just, I'm going to say something really fast about sure. it, but we'll talk about it later. The, the makeup in Planet of the Apes is ridiculous, especially for the time, but we'll kind of touch yeah. on that later. Yeah, it, it, it's an important part of the movie, and I think it's really what makes the movie work on a lot of levels. Mm, yeah. Um, so, uh, it was written, the, the, the draft that finally saw the screen was written by Michael Wilson, but the first draft that he took a lot from, and actually, uh, the major twist at the end was written by Rod Serling Big of name. Twilight Fiction fame. Yeah. Twilight 
The Twilight Zone fan. Yeah, Rod Serling did a lot of Twilight Zone episodes, and Michael Wilson wrote other scripts such as Che. Um, he were, he was a writer for Lawrence of Arabia. Mm -hmm. He wrote uh, A Place in the Sun, as well as It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. So this guy's writing pedigree is really good. Yeah. Yeah. And also one of the amazing things is that before, for a while, because of, you know, the politics and McCarthyism and everything like this, uh, Wilson was actually blacklisted. Really? Yeah. And they actually brought him off the blacklist to write Planet of the Apes. Wow. Yeah. So this film is pretty important for that reason as well. Uh, it was actually released in 1968 and was based on a French novel. The title aptly translates into Planet of the Apes. Right. Uh, it was written by Pierre Boulet, who also wrote uh, such works as The Bridge Over the River Kwai. So lots of pretty cool stuff there. Cool. Um, in terms of actors, uh, we had George Taylor was the main character, and he was portrayed by Charlton Heston. <sighs> um, I hate Charlton Heston. Um, I didn't really have any feelings on him until this movie. His acting in this film is over the top. It's annoying. His speech pattern with the way that he does everything in the film is just, it's so slow and overemphasized. I, I mean, I, and I know, like, the film's kind of famous for the way he acts in it, mm -hmm. but it's, it, from my standpoint, it's very, very annoying. Um, and I thought everyone else in the film did so much better than he did. Yeah, if if you're not if you're not into this role for him, uh, then I would recommend looking up some of his other movies because he has done a lot of cult classics. Um, Touch of Evil is a noir movie uh, based in Mexico. It's like an Im immigration dispute movie, I believe, <laughs> uh, that he actually made with Orson Welles. Um, Sounds interesting. Yeah. Another one that he made and is really famous is Soylent Green. Oh. Yeah. Soylent Green is it's people. people. Yeah. 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 Um, in fact, the, that guy, the guy who has that line, Soylent Green is people, was supposed to play, be in Planet of the Apes, but he gave up that role because of the makeup demands. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And he also was in the cult horror classic Omega Man. Oh, okay. Which is... One of the iterations of the, oh, what's it called? Last Man. Yeah. I, um, the, uh, I, I Am Legend. I Am Legend, That's right. yeah. I Am Legend. Which is a book by Matthewson. That, that movie's been done like four different times at, over history. At least three times. I know there was a, a version, of course, with Will Smith, but there was also a version before this uh, with Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, it's a classic, it's a classic book. If you're into vampire fiction, you should definitely yeah. read I Am Legend. Um, by Matheson, and then watch watch the Omega Man because that was the version that I saw first, um, and I saw it when I was about seventeen or eighteen, and it really fixed itself in my mind as a really interesting movie. From what I hear, that's a really good version of the story, and the Will Smith I Am Legend is terrible. Yeah, from what I hear, <laughs> I had never seen the Will Smith version. I remember when it came out, I'm like, oh, I want to see it and see how it compares to Omega Man, and then I just never bothered. Yeah, from what I hear, it's probably better that you didn't. Yeah, probably. Another, another uh, major actor in this movie was Roddy McDowell, who was playing Cornelius, one of the chimpanzee scientists. Mm-hmm. 
And he was in a, a bunch of different movies. He's had a huge acting career, mostly a lot of family-friendly stuff like um, That Darn Cat, but he was also in uh, The Poseidon Adventure and Fright Night. So, uh, some, some mid-80s horror classics there. Kim Hunter was, played Cornelius's love interest, Zira. And uh, she's been in a lot of really interesting movies as well. She was in A Streetcar Named Desire, uh, which was, a, of course, a real popular movie. And then Fright... Uh, not Fright Night, I'm misreading. The Kindred, and then The Hiding Place. Hmm. Um, and then Maurice Evans as Dr. Zayas... Uh, he was in uh, Rosemary's Baby. Okay. Yeah, and then also he was he had a, a, a role in the Batman TV series, and also uh, played in the uh, TV series Bewitched as well. So well, yeah, a lot of big stuff. Yeah, and the movie was made for a pretty good budget at the time of five million eight hundred thousand. Um, and it brought in $32,589,624, thereabouts. So it did well. It did very well. And it was uh, distributed by 20th Century Fox. Nice. So. The thing about this film is it starts very engagingly. You know, it's Charlton Heston in the cockpit of a spaceship just kind of doing his, his version of Captain's Log, right. basically. Right, right. Um, leaving a memo about what he's up to, and then he gets in his space pod to sleep for you don't know how long. Uh, and then he and his crew wake up, and then it's uh, they crash onto this ape planet. It's, a, it's an interesting story because it seems like it's some, a story of exploration and discovery, and it also seems like a, a, a bit of a story of colonization and sending people off into the new world without yeah. any kind of hope of return. Right. So. Um, to me, it was extremely engaging in the beginning because of the way that they handled um, the adventure aspects of it and this um, new world that you as a viewer were definitely discovering along with Heston and his crew. Um, so, Taylor, I should say. Taylor, Taylor. yeah. I need to not call people by their actual names I need to go by the character, the character names. names so I'm yeah. going to do that um, so one of the things that really grabbed my attention too is when the plane is the spaceship is cr crashing yeah it's like a point of view from the ship um, like you know rolling and like almost hitting things and yeah, then it yeah. eventually crashes in the water and that was very very effective and it really pulls you into it to be like oh my god like this is this is probably what it looks like from your perspective, being inside. inside. And think about it's scary. Think about like the amount of control that you have to give up in this kind of spaceship scenario, where you're trusting the ship completely while yeah. you're sleeping for how no who knows how long. And as we find out in the movie, the cryogenesis doesn't always work. Yeah, because the only female in the crew is dead when everyone else wakes up. They wake up and she's pretty much been flash freeze mummified. Yeah. And, okay, this, in my opinion, kind of sets up um, Heston's character, Taylor. Yeah. To, to be who he is. Um, he's an ass. He really is just like a straight up ass. And he just really poo-poos the fact that, that this crew member died. He was just like, ah, yeah, it happens. 
I, I don't know if it was that or if it was the way that the spaceship had been careening out of control. He was afraid that it might blow up. Because it seemed like he was operating more in a, it, to me, from my viewing of the film, mm -hmm. um, is that he was operating in a way trying to get the rest of the crew to safety before really focusing on what the problems were. And then when you get out, in, out of the spaceship and you um, get to see in this amazing aerial shot of mm -hmm. all around, it's this very barren, rocky area. Um, it doesn't look like it's fresh water. It looks like it's salt water. And they have to jump out into this little canoe and paddle away in a, in a life raft. Yeah. So I, I think that we don't really see too much of, of Taylor's character before this part, except for his monologue where he's saying the human race is basically going to destroy itself if we don't get our act together. So... Aside from this frustration that he has with the human race, we don't see anything of what he actually is going to be like as a person until he's thrust into this dangerous situation. So I don't know if it's really fair to call him an ass or just taking a look at like someone who's acting in a tactically dangerous situation trying to make sure that their people are safe. The thing, though, is that's just one thing. There there are a bunch of other things that happen throughout the film that would lead you to believe that he's an ass. So it's either a situation where the character was written to be kind of an ass, or Heston just acted it that way. Mm -hmm. And there's something that happens not long after, you know, the, the one crew member's found to be dead. Um, it's one of the other crew members puts up a small American flag in yeah. the soil, and and uh, Taylor just starts laughing. And it's like, it's not like a chuckling or like, oh, that's kind of funny. It's like a, you're an idiot type laughing. It's like, I can't believe the futility of... of... Yeah, and it was it's really mean-spirited. So that was kind of... Those two things, like boom, boom, right. Right at, one just right after the other one, just made me like, this guy's a jerk. And there are other things that you see that in. Well, I think Taylor in and of himself is a very is very full of himself. Oh yeah. I, you you can't become a um, a leader of a interplanetary expedition without having a, a fairly large set of cojones and a very high opinion of yourself. Oh yeah. Really. Oh yeah. And think about I mean, all of the people that you know who are in a position of authority are in that position of authority because they're willing to take power upon themselves. Right, and a lot of them because they enjoy having yeah. the power. Oh, yeah. So many people enjoy being in a high-profile job because they get a power trip from it. Yeah. You know? Well, one thing I really want to point out about the beginning of the film, and you touched on it real quick, was the, the scenery when mm -hmm. they get out of the sinking ship. It looks... Otherworldly. It look. I, I mean, I would say it kind of looks like what people would think Mars looks like, because it's all like red dirt, and there are all these, you know, rock formations. It just looks really cool and very alien. And I was watching. I'm like, I want to know where that is. So I found out that was Lake Powell in Utah. And interestingly enough, it was named for a one-armed American Civil War vet. Um. Who explored it in a wooden boat. Awesome. His name was John Wesley Powell. Um, he was the first one to, you know, put it on the map. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting. But this also brings me to say that there are a lot of locations in Utah that are used for film. Yeah. Because they're very versatile. When you look at a place like, you know, Lake Powell or uh, probably the best example, the Bonneville Salt Flats. 
in Utah, uh, which has been used for an unreal amount of commercials, movies, TV shows, whatever. You can take these uh, scenes, or, or these pieces of scenery, and turn them into kind of whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Because some of them are very nondescript, and you can kind of put them one way or the other. Some of them are very just like foreign, alien-looking, so you can kind of give people the feeling that they're not even on planet Earth, which happens in, in this case for Planet of the Apes. Yeah. It's, it's just really interesting because a lot of people don't think about the United States harboring, you know, geography like that. Well, I mean, a lot, a lot of times when we think about um, science fiction, television, and movies and everything like that, a lot of it is filmed in British Columbia, Canada. So a lot of our image of what... Um, what uh, uh, at least in my mind, from watching like Stargate SG One and Stargate Universe, um, you get the image that there's a lot of dense populate forestation on these foreign planets, and everything like that. You don't think a lot about it being like a desert area or something like that. Something I was going to point out is like techniques that they use for for making it feel that way is like they can they can cause the saturation of the of the lighting to go up, so mm -hmm. you get more color. And that, that will definitely give it an alien feel. Also, they did a lot of wide shots on this. So you can see, like, the isolation of the people or, as they're walking through the area. And a lot of low shots and things like that. So it was there was a lot of great cinematography that went into creating that feeling of alienness and, and being alone in, on the world and everything like that. Yeah. So I thought, I thought that was a really neat part of the movie. Also, at this point, you start hearing like a little bit of the score throughout the rest of the movie, which is heavily influenced by percussion. Mm -hmm. And also, it has a very 20th century modernist classical feel to the, to the score. Um, it's not full-on 12-tone, but it definitely has that feeling of syncopation and discord and, and everything like that. And that really also influences the, the sound of the movie and everything like that. And it's probably very heavily um, reliant on percussion because they're going for a primal type feel and a lot of drums kind of, in people's minds, is synonymous with like primalism. Yeah. And um, this is really, you know, the setting for the film. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like very, um, I don't want to say backwards, but very uh, devolved society um and you know when you eventually get to the apes they're living in like stone formations it's kind of like they're living in caves that they cut some windows out of yeah yeah and, and honestly that that really kind of ticks me off that they did that mm -hmm. um because in the book that the ape society is very culturally and technologically advanced interesting yeah um i i read the novel um a few years ago and um, really liked it. It was a, a very well written book. Um, so there, the reason that they changed it though was because they wanted to stay on budget. Oh, you know, okay. so and they wanted to shoot a lot of this stuff. Like you said, this part was filmed in Utah, but a lot of it was essentially filmed on back lots in Hollywood. I figured. So, yeah. yeah. So I mean, they're like, well, how can we cut costs and everything like that? And part of that was because the prosthetics and the makeup involved mm. was very. Very expensive to put together, so they had to they had to cut corners 
and make changes. So you start seeing things that don't really make sense within the ape culture. Do you want to just go ahead and, and fast forward to that part where they're like essentially captured and, and brought into the ape society? I do want to say a few things about other stuff first, sure. real quick. Um, one of them being the... It's interesting because the film starts out very docile. Mm -hmm. You know, with we talked about Taylor kind of talking on the ship. And then eventually it's it's very kind of abrupt that it's crashing. And the crash is very intense, and then they're trying to get out. And it's the way they had, like, the water rushing in was very well done. Yeah. It really gives you a feeling of, like, on, on the edge of your seat, like, oh, my gosh, are they going to make it out? Someone's going to drown? Like, this is intense. And it feels like you're kind of in there with them, the way they shot it. Yeah. So then they get out, and they're kind of safe. But then you go from that intensity and that craziness to kind of like, it's like silence. You know, it's like, and then you're kind of looking around and it's like barren land that looks very alien. And then you're kind of like, oh no, what's, what's going on? Where are we? And then the most engaging thing for me was actually just the exploration where Taylor and his, and his guys are walking around and they're just kind of like going up hills and walking around, you know, lakes and, you know, it's really just like, what's about to happen? When are they going to find something? Yeah. really keeps you on the edge of your seat, and I thought they did a really good job in that, and it's very adventurous. But then eventually they get to uh, a greener area. You know, there's actually some, some woods and it's a little actual bit, foliage. Yeah, it's a little bit more lush than just desert. Yeah, and when they get there, they find, like, a nice lake. And so what, what, what's your first reaction to that? Well, let's go swimming. Let's get butt naked. I, 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 yeah, I that's mean, what they do. Well, you got to think of it this way: this is their first time on this planet, feeling like they're that they can actually be a little safe. Well, they're so also they're, probably extremely grimy. They're, after they're being very in those dirty. cryo things for who knows how long, like thousands of years, yeah. maybe. Essentially, the clock broke, so they have no idea how long they were in there. Exactly, and yeah, I bet you feel disgusting yeah. after that. I mean, think about the after morning mouth for cryogenesis. Uh, yeah. I mean, would bacteria would the bacteria keep growing on your tongue? I don't know. Would everyone have hairy tongue when they mm. awoke? <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Well, I'm going to put a toothbrush next to my cryo chamber just to, <laughs> you just in case. And some Listerine, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when they're swimming is when you first get a hint that there's something else on the planet because their clothes are stolen. Yeah. By arms, you know, they look like human arms. But you don't see the people. You just see like a bunch of rustling bushes and stuff. And then they're like, hey, wait. And they're running out naked trying to find their stuff. Where are my clothes? That's when they come across the, the primitive humans yeah. that don't even speak. Yeah. Yeah, essentially essentially, what it seems like is that um, humanity on this planet is the lesser intelligent species. Yeah. You know, and so they're they're going. Uh, humans are actually uh, at one point in the movie hunted, you know, and and uh, actually we're pretty much right at this point yeah, in the yeah. movie. Uh, like the, the you see gorillas riding out on horses with automatic weapons and, yep. and nets and nets, and they're catching people and they're dragging them in and and the Taylor and his crew get pulled in. Yeah, um, one amongst the the many. Yeah, that get pulled in. Well, and and at this point, um, Taylor's life is actually accidentally saved by by uh, having his throat injured. Yeah, yeah, he gets shot in the throat. Yeah, which I'm gonna be honest, as good as the um, costume effects were, 
there was a shot after he had been shot in the neck where they showed like blood, but there's no, no wound, no wound at all. Yeah. And I was kind of like, well, that's a big continuity issue. Well, but I mean, at the same time, you can overlook small things. I, th- I think, I think con- what we would consider a continuity issue at this point in time, um, it's is, because it's evolved to that. Yeah. Yeah. Back well, then it wasn't so much. Also, I mean, showing blood on, on just a normal television screen or a normal movie screen at that point was, was pretty salacious. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, a lot of times people get shot and there's no real blood. They just fall to the ground. Yep. So, um, so the fact that you can see the blood in and of itself is, uh, something of a, of a minor victory here. I mean, he could have just, you could have just seen the gun go off and then he grabs his neck and fall down, falls down and that's yeah. that. Um, but he's essentially dragged into, um, a cage and, uh, and basically it's like a, a, a laboratory type of situation and he's in this cage and there are a whole bunch of other humans in the cage and they have a lot of they're like in like straw and they're and they're being experimented on by not people but chimpanzees chimpanzee scientists yeah and i thought it was interesting because the you know their their quarters where they're caged yeah look a lot like old school zoos they do where you know apes chimpanzees orangutans were housed and actually probably zoos of the time when the movie was being made so this was a a bit of a ethical treatment of animals message Mm -hmm. mixed in because um and the movie does have a lot of subtones about the ethical treatment of animals but also um it's made in the time of the civil rights Yes. You know, so that's a very important thing to remember as you're watching the movie and what it's trying to say about the the nature of humanity at this point. Yeah, and the, it's very clear the the juxtaposition of human and and ape roles yeah. in this. Um obviously, and that becomes clear like as soon as you you see all the humans being rounded up, but it just keeps echoing itself over and over and over throughout it. And that's one of the most interesting aspects of the film mm-hmm. because you keep hearing characters say certain things that you're like, okay, that's an ape, and that's something a human would say about an ape. Right. Or, you know, the action that this human is taking is something that basically an ape would do. And it, it's like they've just switched bodies. Yeah, and, and Cornelius and Zira are like, it's so great how this one referring to Taylor, it's great how this one is is trying to to talk and is trying to make motions and tell us what he wants. And they name him Bright Eyes. <laughs> you know, because his eyes are so blue. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because from an audience perspective, you understand and can identify with Taylor's character because he's a human, you're a human, right. and he's surrounded by to him, alien beings. And, right. and you feel the same way as an audience. You're like, I don't understand these beings. I don't know who they are. So when when all of these things are being thrown at him, as a viewer, you can kind of feel the frustration because he's trying to talk and they're like, oh, it's so cute. He's trying to talk. Oh, yeah. but does he really understand what we're saying? Like, he doesn't understand. And, and, and amazingly enough, they speak very crystal clear English. Yes, they do. But of course, we're going to go ahead and just sweep that under the rug as... Uh, the conventions of, of modern science fiction. So. Yeah. But uh, it's just, it's really good the way, the way they do the whole juxtaposition. Um, because, you know, you get, you get those aspects of, you know, this is exactly what a human would be saying mm-hmm. from the perspective of 
seeing these eight, yeah. well, the chimpanzees at this point, um, and then looking at the human and being like, well, that's a barbaric way to keep that human. But then you think about it and you're like, well, that's the way we keep apes now, you know, yeah. chimpanzees, gorillas, whatever. Yeah. And so it makes you think. It really does make the audience think about that because just by putting the human in the exact spot that these um, animals are in, mm-hmm. who were very, very closely related to, um, it just makes you think. But one of the interesting things about the movie is that the, 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 the thoughts that they're putting into your head and everything, uh, it's very much a subtext, you know, because um, one of the great things about science fiction is that it can work on, a, on several different levels. Right. You know, and on the first level, you, can, you have this story of, oh, look, there, there's a dude in a cage. And then you have this level of, well, what does that mean? What does this mean? Right. You what know? is the writer trying to say? Right. What exactly. is the director trying to say? So, I mean, it, it's great because they're, they're, they're making the audience act smarter than a lot of other films would. Because a lot of films, a lot of, a lot of not just films, but a lot of mediums of entertainment would say, oh, this is wrong. You shouldn't do this this way. But in, in terms of this movie, they're saying, hey, look, how would you feel if you were being put into a cage? Yeah. Yeah. And that goes along with, you know, the audience automatically identifies with the human because there are no other humans. Right. Well, there are well, there are people, but they can't talk. They right. don't act like people. They act more like, like animals than anything else. Yes, yeah, they're not humans that you're familiar with. And, oh, on the topic of that, one of the funny things to me in the film was that when Taylor sees these primitive humans mm-hmm. first, they see them from afar, and he immediately says, they look more or less human, but I think they're mute. Okay, first of all, they didn't even get close to them. They're seeing them from afar. How can you think that they're mute if you don't e- if you're not even close up? Probably because of the way that they weren't really communicating but using a lot of hand gestures and everything. Okay. I just thought it it was like so quick. It's yeah. like they see them and immediately spouts us off. But also, um, it's interesting cuz he's saying more or less human. Well, yeah, I which mean, is probably because of, you know, like their their body language and I don't know what they were wearing as well. Right. They didn't. They didn't have like full modern clothing on for yeah, the time. If you think about it, uh, it, the the primitive humans very much looked like your your stereotypical mental perception of a caveman. Yeah. You know, so it's like, oh well, they could be human, or or he could mean that they might have been Neanderthal, mm-hmm. or. Um, you know, he just might have thought, well, we're not on planet Earth, so there's no way that these could actually really be human. Right. You know, so, I mean, and then that brings up the idea of if they were on another planet, well, then that's the concept of panspermia, um, which is the idea that life has been seeded throughout the universe, you know, so... It's a funny name for it. Panspermia? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm not the one who comes up with these things. just shooting cosmic sperm throughout the cosmos yeah (laughs) yeah intergalactic sperm um well i think at this point not because of the sperm comment (laughs) but at this point we should talk about the the costumes and and the uh the makeup effects yeah because at this point in the story where this is where we get introduced to, to cornelius and zira yeah you're seeing all the different types of um 
what's the word I'm looking for? Sapiens. Sapiens, apes. Yeah. I mean, um, so you're seeing like the chimpanzees, the apes, the orangutans, and the gorillas. And the gorillas, and they really did take a different approach to yeah. identify to to identifying each one of those different. Mm-hmm. Animals and they and and the actors worked really hard in walking mm-hmm. in a specific way to kind of give that um, the different. I mean, you you can only do so much in terms of your physical body structure. Yeah. Um, so it takes a lot of effort and physical training to walk like a like an ape would or like a chimpanzee. Um, and also, they did something I was I, I found really interesting doing uh, some research was that. They the the makeup was so good, and the cast structure of the movie was presented so thoroughly to the to the cast and the extras that instead of intermingling amongst each other, they would only group up with the people who were wearing the same species makeup. Yeah, I had heard that that they do like lunch breaks, and then all yeah. the gorillas would eat together, and yeah. all the chimpanzees would eat together. Yeah, that's which is really interesting, and it's kind of like high school. Yeah, and it's, I'm not sure, I was going to say, what does that say about humanity that you right. just, and you, and that does happen all the time, like you just gravitate to people that are like you, yeah. but it's interesting in this context because it's not actually people like you in this case, it's people, people wearing the same makeup as Exactly, you. just, we're all in the same type of makeup, right. but when you boil it down, you know, everyone's wearing makeup, yeah. and, it, and it's all the same, made out of the same stuff. It's just shaped to look a little different, and so there, it's truly superficial. Well, I mean, there, there's. I, I was listening to um, some TED talks about privacy earlier today, and they were and they were talking about how, in reality, we don't really have any such thing as privacy because people in our office observe us for eight or nine hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know, people when that we communicate on a regular basis, they. Like when you go through like an easy pass, they they mark that your car has been there. There's, there's really no such thing as privacy in what we consider privacy in, in the modern day. But then the funny thing about that is then we go home and we're the watcher because we want to see reality TV, which is right. watching someone's life, or you know we want to you know get online and and see what other people are up to. You know, watch videos on YouTube that people have posted of their lives. You know, and and that's and that's one of the interesting things is that social media people people some of these people are arguing that social media is a death to to privacy in a certain regard. Yeah. But I would argue that social media actually causes people to lie more about what they're doing yeah. and trying to make their lives actually look better than they really are. Yeah, I think you get some of those people, but you get other people who are just kind of, you know, true. they're going to be honest about but, it. But, again, you know, we're, we're like we're talking about how people sort themselves into different areas and everything like that. I mean, how often are you going to, like, if you're in an unknown at work env- uh, like environment, at, like some training organization, how likely are you to talk to the people that you don't really talk to on a regular basis at work just because they're a familiar face, mm, you know? Yeah. So we're always going to seek out what we find as familiar or those that we consider to be part of the common good that we know. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's one of the interesting things about the science fiction community is is the inclusiveness of it. Like, 
Uh, and I'm sure that on later reviews, on other reviews of movies, we're going to talk about inclusiveness and we're going to talk about, you know, the ideas of what it means to be a social structure. Yeah. You know, and the, the, the thing is that um, in a lot of ways, nerd culture is breaking the, down what the stereotype is and who, who it is to okay to hang out with and things like that. And that's based off of television shows and things like, and uh, things that we find commonly interesting rather than how people look, yeah, which is so much, of a, so much of a better way to do it, honestly. Well, it's getting past, you know, the superficiality of how society, you know, wants to go. It's it's the lazy person's way of of running society. It's just based on superficiality oh, because it's so it's so quick and easy to just look at something and say that's different, that's not me, or you know instead of actually going to like get get to know a person or find out a situation or delve into a topic and actually see what's there. Mm -hmm. People would rather just look at something at its face value and just kind of judge it that way because it's quicker and easier. Yeah. And it's so much easier to look at some something and within two seconds decide, nope, yeah, not gonna go there. Yep. Um, but this is all about talking about the makeup, yeah. and the makeup is phenomenal for the time. For the time. For the time. Phenomenal. I mean, every once in a while in the movie, you'll see like someone's lips moving behind the mask. And right. Everything. Or or they're trying to talk and it's not quite moving the mouth much, right. but. 1968. 1968. And also, the um, the technology of the camera... I mean, this was not a movie that was shot in high def. Mm -hmm. you know. And so, if you if you show it in a movie theater where the bulb on the projector is a little dim, you're not going to notice anything like that. Right. Uh, one thing that I did find out, too, is that the, the makeup effects people did a lot of research on different types of, of uh, apes, yeah. gorillas, whatever. And... Um, they spent a lot of time looking at them and trying to figure out how their mouths moved and, you know, their, you know, features, yeah. their uh, personalities, their behaviors, all that kind of stuff. And it really comes through yeah. in the makeup. Uh, it's, I was, I was shocked. Like, I knew that they were going to be good makeup effects, but I didn't know how good they would be until I actually sat down and watched the film. Yeah. And I was like, for 1968, that is really impressive. You know, and, and it's funny to think of... You know, because whenever I think of Roddy McDowell, who, mm -hmm. um, I always think of him as Cornelius. Mm -hmm. I don't ever think of him as a human. I always think of him as an ape because the makeup is so good in this movie that it makes you think. And, and also McDowell's performance in the movie is spectacular. Um, yeah. he's, he's one of the um, most well put together actors in the entire movie. Uh, because he's in this he's in this very interesting situation where he's kind of this guy who's um, in a, a, a romantic relationship where he seems to want to go a little bit slower than Zira does. Right. And then he's also got all of these pressures at work because the the uh, the religious order of the the orangutans want to shut down the the experimentation on humans because they're well the orangutans know what's going on Doctor Zayas knows where what happened and why the humans are the way they are right. and he doesn't want anybody else to find out so he's trying to shut down the the human experimentation that's going on because he doesn't want this truth to come out essentially and within this world they are doing kind of what we talked about keeping within their own little groups because. You know, you just see the, the scientist chimpanzees, and then you see the um, orangutan uh, politicians, mm -hmm. and then you see the gorilla 
uh, guards, like the, yeah. uh, the army people. It's it's very much a stratified caste system. Yes, 100%. Um, so at this point, you know, you're just getting a lot of, it happens kind of incessantly. Um, they'll talk about, you know, Taylor, and he, he eventually is talking, so then they're kind of like, oh my gosh, what is going on with this, this human he's talking, and they're, they're debating on whether or not he actually understands what's going on, if he's actually intelligent, or he's just kind of saying things. Yeah. Um, and that's a, an argument between the chimpanzee scientists and the orangutan politicians. Um. But you, you keep going through the cycle of, you get a little bit of that, you get a bit of them trying to discover what's going on with Taylor, and then Taylor escapes. Mm -hmm. And then he's back, and then he escapes, and then he, you know... The, the, the chase scenes are actually a lot of fun. You know, They're I, a little long, but they're a lot of fun. I was going to say I wasn't that much into them because they were kind of long, and it seemed like it was kind of like, oh, he's loose again, yep. oh, he's caught again, oh, he's loose again. Uh, he's caught. And then they put him into general population as a punishment, yeah. and he finds his crewmates have been lobotomized. Yeah. Because he was about to say, like, look, they can talk too, and then he goes to the one, he turns him around, and he's got, you know, the scar on his head, and he's yeah. like, you apes, damn you! Yeah, and you know, that actually was a really good, almost a bit of a horror mo moment in the movie. Because, yeah. you know, it's like, you take something that's that you're not expecting to find a result in and you get rid of it you know and th that's what the um what you could say the the those in control always try and do yeah and it really was at that moment as an audience member you're watching and you're like yeah 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 he, he's gonna show him he's gonna because this guy will talk too right and he turns him around and you're just like oh my god what did they do to him you know you, you feel the exact same emotion that taylor would be feeling mm -hmm. at the time and yeah. that's a, a sign of good filmmaking. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think we've talked about it before, but whenever you can feel uh, empathy for a character, um, then the, the movie makers are doing a good job. Hopefully, hopefully you're feeling the empathy for the right character, though, because, you know, sometimes if, if uh, things don't go the way the movie, the, the directors intend, then well, you can go, well, I mean, yeah. the villain looks so much cooler, like Darth Vader. <laughs> and that's all I'll say. Um the the script i want to say is is really smart mm -hmm. for the film because a lot of the dialogue um and and other things that happen in context of the juxtaposition of the humans and the and the uh, sapiens is the a lot of there's a great a great deal of like witty um dialogue and witty actions that happen uh, where people would just be like, oh, that's kind of funny because it's a, you know, it's a chimpanzee saying that to a human or like, you know, so there was a lot of that. So it, it took a lot of um, intelligence to come up with those funny moments. I love the one scene at the very end of the movie, and this is kind of jumping a little bit forward, but Zira um, asks Bright Eyes for a kiss. And she says, I think I could love you if you weren't so damn ugly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and lines like that are just really, they're throughout the entire movie, and they're just, they're really well done and really well timed. Yeah, yeah, and strong script. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens. Uh, one of the other interesting things I saw from the perspective of the chimpanzees and orangutans, mainly because the gorillas were just not talking or anything. The gorillas were there, there. They were there as set pieces and yeah. to look menacing. To be, to be the muscle. Yeah. So... One of the cool things I saw from that is the idea that, like, humans don't have souls. Interesting. It, is they were basically like, yeah, hey, you know, it's just a... 
It's just this feral, kind of like this feral animal, you know, Taylor and his people. And so that really is the kind of juxtaposition that made me start thinking, like, well, that's the way humans view animals, is not having souls. Yeah. And w why is that? I mean... I mean, that's maybe opening a whole can of worms. That's a huge can of worms <laughs> right there. I mean, I, I do know that, you know, a lot of... A lot of, a lot of people feel like the treatment of animals is a very hard ethical thing and a very hard religious thing to come against. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of churches, um, I'm not sure if my denomination does it, but a lot of churches actually perform blessings of the animals. Really? Yeah, where they will, they will, um, they will pray over your pets um, because the, the, um, they will consider pets part of the family. Um, I'm, and we do, yeah. as, as oh, yeah. people. Um, your cat you Chloe. Feel that way. You, you call your cat Chloe your kid all yeah. the time. I'll just say to my wife, did you feed the kid? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it, it's something where, you know, you, you look at it and the thing that you value the most, you humanize. So, they saw, they saw the, um, they saw the people the humans, so to speak, in the movie, as easy things to experiment on and eat free labor, you know. Um, yeah. So they didn't see them as, as something to be valued or, or something to be treasured. So they didn't ascribe that idea that they would have a soul or they would have a spark of intelligence or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But, but it's, it perfectly embodies the way humans have been. Right. Well, at, at, least, in, at least in a Western culture. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, because I, that's what I was talking about. Because it was a it was a Western culture film. Right, right. The right. audience was meant to be a Western culture, certainly. Yeah, because um, there are there are certainly other cultures in the world that have a, a much more, um, we'll say, complex view on how animals should be treated and, and the yeah. the spiritual worth of animals. That's very true. So, but I just thought that that was a whole interesting thing that they were kind of like, hey, he doesn't have a soul, you know? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of times how humans treat animals and. I kind of feel like, in my own opinion, if we're all beings on this planet and there is such a thing as a soul, I mean, I'm agnostic, so I don't really, I, you know, I claim that I don't really know anything, right. which is, it's pretty easy to do, to, to, you know, set your religious views that way, to be like, I have no clue. Um, but if, when I look at that, I'm like, you know, if, if I'm a being on this planet and animals are a being on this planet, if, if humans have a soul, then animals probably have a soul too. So I just, I, I can't get that perspective of them not because right. just looking down and saying they're beneath us, they're, they're not quite as good as us. So well, I wouldn't even say not quite as good. They're nowhere near as good as us yeah. is the thought. And, and, and I don't, I, I don't mean to turn this into a proselytization thing or anything like that. But I mean, the Christian view is that heaven is only a temporary place, mm -hmm. um, that God will come and, and bring humanity back to earth. And there will be animals, and there will be a revived earth that is in perfect communion and harmony. So, um, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. Is yeah. that there is there is an intrinsic worth, but we don't think of it as that in, in our day to day lives. Is that right. we just see it as kind of a commodity, you yeah. know? And you much know, much like you know the um, 
the inhabitants of this planet of the oh, apes yeah. are looking at these primitive humans. They're, yeah. they're a commodity. It's like, you know, we can get them to do what we need to. We're going to run tests on them. Right. And that's the way humans treat, you know, chimpanzees, gorillas, orangutans now. Yeah. We're, we're doing tons of tests on them. And the crazy thing is, though, that, that they stop just short of actually showing an orangutan or a, or a, or a um, chimpanzee or gorilla actually eating somebody. Right. That's as, that's the that's the line that they seem to draw in the movie. Uh, they don't actually show too much of them eating in general, probably because the makeup was just too difficult to work around for that type of thing. Yeah, they're um, trying to keep it cheap, as yeah, you said. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, the makeup was the most expensive part of the whole thing, so makeup that where looks you could... to be such. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I do want to say also uh, to go along with some of the witty things that were thrown into the film. Uh, I don't know if you noticed. You probably did. You're good at picking up on these things. When they were kind of having their tribunal yes. uh, with Taylor, the orangutans, three of them are sitting at a desk, and one of them has his um, eyes covered, the next one has his um, ears covered, and then the last one has his mouth covered. It's the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil thing, which I saw that, and I'm like, oh, that's funny. And it's not, like, thrown in your face, though. It's right. kind of just, like, you have to take a second to get it. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that didn't yeah. catch it. Yeah, it's something that they actually, um, they had to work really hard to make sure that that would come off properly. Um, because they, they did kind of want it into the background and everything. Mm -hmm. And it was also interesting in the tribunal how they force Taylor to be completely naked. You know, because, again, this yeah. is something about... You know, well, we afford someone who is of worthy of any kind of status. We afford them clothing. Right. But they, I think they had also made some sort of comment about it being silly. Yeah. And it was a silly that a human's wearing clothes. And it was something of a punishment. Yeah. Because, you know, because think about it from, from our perspective. Order. If Taylor was like a monkey, you'd be like, that's silly. He's wearing clothes. Yeah. You know, it's the same reaction. And a lot of times you see a monkey dressed up and you're like, well, he probably feels really uncomfortable. Or you're just like, that's hilarious. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, another funny thing I wanted to point out is that they basically equated humans to, to roaches. Yeah. Because they were like, said there's, there was a quote, like there's a whole nest of them. And then they're asking them, they're like, where's your nest? Where's your nest? It's just like roaches. Yeah. And they're like, we got to eradicate a roach gotta problem. Get rid of, or, or a rat problem. Yeah. You know, that, that type of thing. And, you know, at, the movie basically hinges on this idea. Do we treat others with the same kind of respect that we afford a, our own society or are we going to be less inclusive? Right. You know, and so Cornelius, Cornelius and Zira have this idea where they're going to take Bright Eyes, Taylor, and... Um, let him go. Let him go with a female that they apparently think he's attached to. Well, at first, they, it had been said she was not to come with him. Right. It was just going to be him, but he was like... And this was another moment where I was like, he's an ass. Um, he doesn't say, like, oh, my God, I want to save her, too, or right. whatever. He just points, he goes, I want her. Yeah. It's like the most chauvinistic, disgusting, base... Ugh. It's just like, he, he's an ass. His character is such an ass. He's like, I want her. She is a possession to him. To him, yeah. And, and it's it's weird because I'm wondering if he was trying to communicate to them in a way that they were thinking of humanity. Mm -hmm. um, and I, again, I can't make any kind of 
statement one way or another because I, when when you're going through an actor's mind for the for the way that they choose to portray a character, there's no there's no way to tell what they're thinking. It, yeah. it was Heston putting a possessive on the character Nova, or was he? in his mind trying to communicate to the apes in a way that they would understand mm-hmm. because i mean it kind of was put put in a position where again with the with the uh, the question of racism was you know there was there was a lot of, of violence during that particular time in our history uh, as a culture as we were trying to to break up jim crow and everything um but that that was yeah that was something that was um, how how to put this? You know, there there was violence and everything like that because the people who were being subjugated felt like violence was the only way to talk to 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 the other to the dominant society. Mm-hmm. You know, so was were, were they trying to put this metaphor of him using such violent language and such possessive language in as a, a way of, for him to communicate with the d- dominant society in a way that they would understand? You know, you know, so it, it, it can be a very sophisticated thing to look at, and it in something that can seem like he's being a jerk at the time. Um, I always kind of interpreted it personally as him trying to do that, trying to be helpful to her, but in a way that other people would understand and not question. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's that very delicate line to walk. Although I will say. The character of Nova is actually really pointless to this film. Very, very much so. She's very, essentially eye candy. It, that's exactly what I was going to say. It, it, per, the perfect example of all brains, or I'm sorry, all beauty, no brains. Right. Because she doesn't even talk. She doesn't think really, and she just kind of walks around. And well, she's just pulled around by Taylor everywhere. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it occurred to me towards the end of the film. I was just like, there is no importance to this character. Whatsoever, I think and just shouldn't even have been in the film. I, I I own all of the movies, but I haven't watched any past this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she does have an important part later. In, later, she probably like, learns how to talk. She actually does learn yeah, how I to knew talk. It. I think. I knew yeah, it. Yeah, you know, so she becomes more human because of her uh-huh. interactions with Taylor. Oh, because Taylor just maybe it's sexually transmitted. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> you know, between the, panspermia and the sexually transmitted sperm. conversation. Um, okay, so. Something important, though, I will say that the another one thing that really seemed unrealistic to me. Yeah. Like this whole film isn't unrealistic, but uh, one thing that was really unrealistic is how you know the the chimpanzees spring Taylor from his his jail, right? And they're gonna let him go. Well, all of a sudden, it's like immediately they're taking orders from Taylor. With, like, no no questions asked. They're just like, okay, okay, okay. That didn't seem at all realistic. It did to me. Uh, just because they're, they were more demure. Well, yeah, because of the, the hierarchy was the orangutans tell you what to do. Right. And this is someone who is acting like, a, like an orangutan. But is a human. But is a human. But a human that talks? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, no, it's very confusing, and, and unfortunately we're running up against a time gap here. Yeah. Um, or, or we could, we, I feel like we could talk about this movie for like three hours. Yeah. Uh, but in my opinion, that aspect of it was BS. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's a plot hole. I think, well, okay, not a plot hole, but just something that's not real. A plot failing. A plot failing, yes. Very much so. Um, and then I want to point out another plot failing in my opinion, and that is, you know, 
well, I don't know how much we want to fill in up until this point. But, it, you know, Zaius, in the end, makes things known that he knew things about the humans. Oh, yeah. There's an archaeological dig that's happening where they have found uh, basically a, a talking human doll. Yes. And that's kind of like, oh, that's weird. I've seen things like this before. Right. Know, Taylor says. Um, and Zaius is forced to basically come clean and say that they know about humans. Uh, they know more than they had kind of let on. Um, but he had been saying, you know, we can't let him get away, Taylor get away. And there had been comments in the film that they're not, they don't want to allow the humans to procreate. And yet, in the end, Zaius lets Taylor go, because he's kind of like, whatever, let him go, he'll meet his own, his destiny, it's his destiny, whatever. And he lets him go with Nova. Well, what, what the hell do you think's going to happen? So that's a major plot failing there, because he specifically said, we're not going to let humans procreate. Well, what do you think you're doing when you let a, a man, a good-looking woman who can't make her own decisions and speak for herself, go with a chauvinistic... And let's say, he, Charlton Heston's actually ugly. He's not a good-looking man. He's an ugly dude. Um, go off into the sunset. You know, it's just the two of them. What are they going to do? What do you think they're going to do? Uh, well, I think I think the perception... Isaiah essentially wanted them to, to wander off, find what they found, and then get eaten by lions, essentially. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly think that he considered uh, Bright Eyes, Taylor to be such an ineffectual individual that he was just going to die in the wild. I guess. So, cuz he was only giving him one gun with only a few rounds. So, he, a, a, another thing, a more nihilistic thing was you've got this gun, you've got a few rounds, you're going to go, you're going to find big spoiler at the end, you're going to find out that this is your own planet. Right. Uh, because you find the the head of the Statue of Liberty, then you're going to blow your own brains out because you can't believe how horrible this is. And I'll say the ending of this film is really good. Yeah. It the sto story wise, it's really good. There's yeah. something that I hated about it, but story wise, it was really good. You know, you have this awesome reveal that there's there's the totally effed up Statue of Liberty, which is very iconic. So you're just like, oh my god, people immediately get it. They're like, oh my god, this is New York. Right. And so you then realize, thinking back, okay, when they were in their in their pods and their cryopods, they were actually just kind of hanging out around. The Earth, and then they crashed back onto it yeah. thousands of years later. And what had happened is the hum, um, the human race, I guess, had had been destroyed. Yeah, it was basically a post-apocalyptic situation there. Yeah. Yeah, and then all the the monkeys had evolved, and they were like, you know, we can't let humans be intelligent again because then they're gonna totally kill the planet. Yeah. Um, so they were trying to keep them under control. But it is really this kind of like, oh my gosh, moment at the end of the film. And it was really well done. But, but, Charlton Heston screwed it up for me because his acting is so over the top and terrible that he finds this out. And you should have a very strong reaction if you're Taylor. Yeah. And he has a strong reaction, but it's so over the top and stupid. He just like starts pounding the sand and he goes, damn you all to hell. Yeah. It's like, that's not even close to realistic how someone would act. Yeah. You know, ugh, it well, was I mean, awful. I think, it awful. Goes, I think it goes back to his original 
statement that he was recording in the opening monologue about how he felt like humanity was going to wipe themselves out. Mm -hmm. And essentially, I think that when they made Planet of the Apes, the intention was for it to be an anti-war movie. Right. More than a, a, an anti-racism and ethical treatment of other species, which is what it turned out to be. Um, but I think of it. I think that the intention was more: we need to find a way to solve our pro problems before we destroy the world, which is a big Cold War era message. I mean, yeah, that's the message. But so, the, but my my hang up on this is the acting right. style was so awful, awful. That it screwed up the ending. I mean, the ending was still effective, but it could have been more so mm -hmm. had he had a realistic reaction to it. Mm -hmm. It it could have really actually like kind of you know made people feel sad, made people feel upset. Yeah. But as it was, it you know I I was very pulled into it, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then he says that line, and I'm just like, ugh. You know, it threw me out of it immediately. Yeah. So I was like, whatever. Charlton Heston. You sucked in this film. You ruined a great movie. You did. Totally. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and let you go and give your final thoughts <laughs> for this now that now that you're uh, thoroughly fed up with Charlton Heston. Right, right, right. Um, cinematography was good. The um, soundtrack was appropriate. Most of the acting was very good, except for <laughs> Heston. Um the concept obviously was a really good one. The script was very well written. We talked about a lot of the smart, witty pieces of dialogue and, and set pieces that they had in there. Um, the scenery was awesome. The way they set up, you know, the, the adventurous nature of everything was really good. Um, so there were a lot of positives to it. But at the same time, there were a lot of things that were underwhelming, um, kind of frustrating and for that reason, I, I got to give it two and a half stars because for me, it really just kind of falls into the middle. Um, if anyone's already interested in trying to see it, if they haven't seen it already, I would recommend go ahead and see it once. But I pray I'm not going to watch it again. And, you know, if you want to, fine. But yeah, this is this is one of the movies that um, that I really started me on my voyage of discovery in terms of cinema. So it's one that I'm, I'm always going to hold in a bit of a higher regard. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, the, 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 the script is smart. Um, I, love the, I love the makeup. The makeup makes the movie. If, it, if the makeup had failed um, and the, the, the faces had been rubbery and, and just awful looking throughout the rest the entire movie, then this would have been a piece of garbage. It would have just been a joke. It would have been, a, it would have been a, a MS3TK worthy movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, Honestly, I think that the, because of the messages, the intent, and you know, all of the all of the things that they pound into a good what two hours worth of movie, um, I, I'm going to go ahead and give it about three and a half stars. Okay, and I think I would have given it three and a half stars too if it, if it hadn't been for Charlton if it wasn't Heston. for Charlton Heston, right, right, 100. percent oh, and irked me so much in that movie, and, and that shows how acting can really make or break a movie. Yeah, yeah, honestly. All right, folks. Well, thank you very that's, much for listening. That's three stars. That's three stars. That's, that's good. Yeah, that's that, a recommend. Yeah, that's a very it's a not our highest recommend, uh, but it still is a still recommend. a very good, solid movie. And we, uh, if you watch it, we would love to hear your opinion on so, uh, what is considered to be something of a modern classic. Uh, yes, yeah, send us an email and, and let me know that you love Charlton Heston yeah, in this film. Yeah. 
Or let me know that you also hate him in this film. Yeah. That, that I prefer, but... We just want to hear what you have to say. So what's our email address, Jordan? Well, uh, you can go ahead and reach us at mostexcellentmovienight at gmail.com, I believe. Probably the easiest way to get a hold of us is to leave a message on our... Um, on Facebook. our Facebook, well, or also our, our, website. our website, mostexcellentmovienight.com. There's actually a comment form form that you can leave a, a message to on there, and it will directly email it to us so that we'll be able to see that. So everyone, get on that. Yeah, yeah. We we we've had some some responses and some really great comments on on some of the blog posts, but not nearly enough. Well, I want to get to a point too where we can get some emails or messages from people about other shows that we've done so that we can on another show or even have like a special show where we talk about yeah, we you know to, just going through fan mail we need and see what you shows. have you know what you listeners have to say you know write in and say you were totally wrong about Jingle All the Way it is actually a, a piece of cinema gold oh, we've actually had people take us to town in person about that one yeah but we want it in writing so we can read it and present it to all the listeners or record it Record it, and we can edit it in and then have oh. a discussion about that, too. Sure. Just go ahead and uh, shoot us an email, uh, mostexcellentmovienight at gmail.com, and uh, just record a little MP3, and we'll be more than glad to put that into the podcast itself. That would be exciting. It would be. It awesome. would be. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. We're going to wrap this up. We're kind of running a little bit long, but that's good because that means that we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Damn you! And we'll leave it right there. You've been listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. Our theme music was provided by Sweet Wave Audio. To find more royalty-free music for your own projects, check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk. And special thanks to Ariana Ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art. Visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to other episodes, give us your opinion, and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed. You can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight.com at gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air. Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life. For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night, where movies are most excellent. This has been a Nerd Circle Podcast production.